recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Queenslanders in the building. We love you. We love you, even though we thrashed you on Wednesday night. Uh, We love you. Right. So if you're visiting this morning or if you're tuning in for the first time, we are in the midst of a series called Who You Say I Am. And we're looking at what God says about you, what God says about me, who we are in Him. And this morning, nice little bit of irony for me personally, We're looking at us as being citizens of the kingdom. I'm going to be talking a lot about home today. We're talking a lot about our home as Christians. So before I get into that, you might be wondering, who is this person? You might have seen me on guitar or something like that. Um, I've been at Parramatta for over 30 years now. Um, I know I don't look that old. Uh, My parents, just here. My beautiful wife, Cheryl, met here. We have three little girls who keep us on the run. Um, And as far as work goes... What I do for work, and this is the ironic part, I work in aged care, and my role is to help with admission and show people into their aged care home. And a lot of my time, I go, this is your bed. This is your bathroom. Over here, this is your dining room. This is where you're going to eat. This is where you're going to break out and do whatever. And this morning, we're going to do a bit of that as well. I'm going to show you your home in heaven. So there's pressure on me. This is not easy. So it's a nice little bit of irony for me today. Us as citizens of the kingdom, there's something that God has put within each and every one of us. There's an ache for home. There's a longing for something more than just what we face here and now. There's a longing for home. What is home? You ever stopped and thought about it? What does home mean? I mean, you hear the saying that, you know, this or that can turn a house into a home. What, what are we talking about? Because obviously a house is something we live in, but home is a bit different. According to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, home is one's place of residence, one's you know social unit that's formed through family or friends, that sort of thing. A familiar setting, a congenial environment. Recently, IKEA put out a survey about what makes home home. And you might read that and think that's pretty cynical, IKEA, duh, it's what you do. But this was interesting. Thousands of responses, all kinds of backgrounds, but the responses were very much the same. People wanted, out of home, comfort, security, belonging, love. And when I look at that, I think, yes, that's what makes home. It's a safe space. It's a loving space. It's a space where you and I can call community, family. There's something within us that aches for that. We long for that. In the uncertainty of life, In the zigs and the zags of where your day might take you, you long for that place of security. You long for that place you can call home, comfortable, you know, in your pajamas, whatever it might be, and you know you're accepted as you are. I've got good news for you this morning, church. God is the ultimate homemaker. You might not think of God in that way, but He is the ultimate homemaker. He loves to create home for His people. And if you don't believe me, it's all through the Bible. Right at the beginning in Genesis, when God created the garden, it was perfect. Can you imagine having a garden, never having to tend to it? Never having to worry about the tree and you just get your fruit and your veggies or whatever it is. It was perfect. 
And by the way, when God created that garden, He also established rest. And see, when we see rest in the Bible, that talks about peace and safety. And in many ways, rest is a euphemism for home in the Bible. In many ways, when God says rest, He's talking about home. He's talking about a comfortable place. Exodus 20 tells us when God is giving uh, Moses the Ten Commandments, He says, you know, six days God created the earth, but on the seventh, God rested. And He wants us to do the same, to find that space with Him. With Him. You know, the, the ancient idea of deity was that a God only rests in a temple. Well, this is God's temple. This earth, God has made His temple. Your life, God has made His temple. He wants to rest with us. He wants us to partake in that. Every other faith will say God is distant. Not our God. Not our God. He's not aloof. He's not far away. But as we know, sin ruined this perfect, this perfect garden and this perfect relationship we have with God. But God didn't stop trying to make a home for us. We read that in, uh, when God's talking to Abraham and he says, you're going to have descendants that you can't number. You'll be a father of a great nation. But, but just one thing, Abraham, they'll be imprisoned in slavery for 400 years, but I will deliver them. And I promise them they'll get a land. And we see Israel was rescued out of slavery from Egypt. And even though Israel lost their way a couple of times, God still kept saving them. The Assyrians came. And then later the Babylonians came and the Persians came, but God still brought his people back. God still had a home for them. But you see, ultimately, ultimately, this is a picture of what God would do for us. Because truth is, church, this morning we've celebrated God, we've praised God, but it wasn't always like that. We were alienated from God. We were further from God than east is from west. And God bridged the gap through Jesus. He came when we were, what does Romans say? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were alienated from God, He made a way through grace. He has made rest possible with Him. He has made home possible with Him again. Paul goes on, he says this in a number of areas, but in Ephesians 2, Paul says this amazing thing. He says, consequently, as a result of all that Jesus has done, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but your fellow citizens with God's people and members of this household. We are not strangers to God anymore. We are citizens of His kingdom. Citizens have rights and privileges. God allows us to enter in to all that He wants to give to us through Jesus. And then just to sort of contrast that a little bit, Peter goes one further and he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, now that you read them by, side by side, you might think, what's going on? Paul said, we're not foreigners. Peter says, we are foreigners. What's he saying? He's talking about a different kingdom. Peter's saying, you are foreigners in this world. This world has no place for us anymore. The King James puts that as pilgrims, sojourners. We're passing through. And so Paul, like Paul wrote, we are foreigners. We're not foreigners to God. We're foreigners here. See, to be part of the bride, we are to be divorced from all that's in the world. To be citizens of the kingdom, there's no dual citizenship. You can't keep your earthly passport. doesn't work that way. We are exiles in this world. And that's the way God wants it. Because our eyes can then be set on heaven. And see, with all of that going on, with all the work that God has done, our ultimate home is to take us to a new Jerusalem, the Word says. 
man, this is going to be some place. I mean, forget me showing through an aged care home. This place is going to blow your socks off. We read in Revelation that this place has got streets of gold. It's got foundations of every precious stone. It's got gates of pearl. It's got the tree of life in the center where you eat from its fruit. This place will be amazing. But you know, as much as it's like showing you this is your bed and this is your bathroom, wait for this, wait for this. As good as the the description is, Revelation 21 says something amazing. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. That was Eden. We lost that, but God kept saying, there's a home, there's a home, I'm working on it. This is our home. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God will be with us forever up there and there'll be no more tears. He will wipe every tear, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. I'm hanging out for that day. That's a reality I can cling to. No more crying, no more pain, no more backaches, no more hunger, no more disease. Does that excite you? This is a world that we can't imagine. This is a world way beyond what we're living here and now. You call this home, this is nothing compared to what's going on up there. This is going to be an amazing place. But see, we as Christians, we know this. We know this. But do we really know it? Have we allowed things to creep in, to steal that part of our identity from us? This is our identity. This is who God says we will be. But I don't know about you, I don't often get excited about this. And we should. We should be excited about this is where God's going to take us. Is it possible that we're too tied to this world to appreciate what's going on up there? Is it possible that the clouds have covered over the great sun of God, the great sun of all that God is doing to light up this future for us? Have the clouds of the present clouded that out for us? You see, church, I think of the parable of the sower and you think of that soil where the cares of the world stop the growth of that seed. Is that us this morning? Have we got so earthbound that we are not looking to heaven? Or we are, but it's just in our heads, it's not in our hearts. You know, there's an old saying that, you know, you can be too heavenly minded and be no earthly good. Toss, toss that one out the window. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. But there is such a thing as being so earthly minded that we're not really doing anything for God and God's not able to do it in us because our, our vision is just so blinkered on this world. Are we too tied to this world? A biblical example I see in the book of Ruth, back in the Old Testament. You might know the story, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi. She has her husband and they have two sons and her husband dies kind of young. In those days, that's a big deal. Because your husband was your future. Your husband was your provision. There was no social security. There was no pension in those days. This woman's future was very clouded. But she did have two sons. So they could help provide for her in a way. And they marry Ruth and, I was going to say Oprah. It wasn't Oprah, it was Orpah. Not Oprah. Close. And so Ruth and Orpah marry these two sons, but the sons then die not long after that. And so what's poor Naomi is destitute. She's had no husband for a long time, and then suddenly her sons are gone, and there's three destitute women somewhere in the back of Moab somewhere, 
And they're like, what do we do? And so Naomi, with sort of compassion, she sort of says, listen, girls, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. That sounds pretty magnanimous, doesn't it? That sounds really sweet. May the Lord go show you kindness as you have shown kindness to me and your dead, and your dead husbands. And then she says something kind of strange. May the Lord grant that each of you would find rest in the home of your husband, another husband. Now, I find that strange because Naomi has lost everything. Naomi knows what it's like to have this degree of happiness ripped out from her life. This security that she thought was her ticket to the future, gone. And she's seen it gone for her daughters-in-law, and yet she's saying, go back to that. Go find rest with another husband. Go find home. I can understand where she's coming from, but you would think, having seen the falseness of, you know, this is not going to be anything permanent. This is temporary. This is passing. You would think that Naomi might have something different to say. Now, just on that, is it bad to want the perfect partner? Is it bad to want a dream job or a, or a beautiful home? Not necessarily. But we need to understand that this will not satisfy our ache for home. This does not satisfy our desire to be with Jesus. We're citizens of the kingdom. We don't belong here. And nothing this earth offers will help us in that quest, will help us in that desire for home. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes this amazing thing. He says that our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour. We've just been talking about that. We can have eyes to heaven because of what Jesus has done. And eventually, he'll transform these lowly bodies into his glorious body. Again, no more backaches, no more headaches, none of that sort of stuff. But notice what he says before. This is tragic. As I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, you might read that and say, that's all those bad people out there. That's all the people that need to hear about Jesus, maybe. But when he goes down further and he says, their mind is set on earthly things, I start to think, well, my mind's on earthly things a lot of the time. It doesn't take me too long to get out of church and I'm thinking about all the rubbish of the world. And if we're honest, that's all of us. If we get stuck in that malaise of thinking, Paul's very clear, their glory is in their shame. Their God is their belly. And their destiny is destruction. We're pilgrims passing through. And a pilgrim passes through, a soldier on a mission, we don't get caught up in the affairs of this life. It's a balance, it's a tension, believe me. I live it every day, it's not easy. But see, living for earthly things is only going to end in one place, and it's not going to be happiness, it's not going to be joy. Being citizens of another kingdom, we realize that our help doesn't come from this world. Our help comes from the Lord. About 10 years ago, before we were a family of five, we were a family of three, just had Alicia, she was about one, and we went to the Philippines. And uh, amazing time, had a great time over there. But it was, we were in Makati and we were about to head out to the countryside. And it was the last night. I don't know if we ate something off, I'm not sure, we all felt a bit crook, but Alicia got it really bad. And poor th I'm, I'm sorry to bring this up in the morning. Um, she vomited. Not once, not twice, not three times, about five times in the end, poor thing. <laughs> um, I laugh about it now, but it wasn't funny at the time. Um, 
we, we summoned the hotel. We got towel after towel. Guys, can you help us? My daughter's sick. And after about the third time, I'm sitting there thinking, this is interesting. We're in a country on the other side of the world. Where's the hospital? It's the middle of the night. My Medicare card's not going to work over here. What do we do? If we really got into tr- I mean, she was fine the next day. But if we really got into trouble, we'd be up the creek without a paddle in another country. And you don't go to that country to get help. You go to your home country to get help. You go to your embassy. When this life throws us the curveballs that it does, this life isn't going to help us. Our help comes from the Lord. Our help comes from where our citizenship is held, where our passport is stamped. It's not down here. That's why Paul writes, our citizenship is in heaven. That's why we look to him. That's why we don't look to the things of this earth to satisfy. Because honestly, if if all you want is here in this earth, mark my words, you'll never get to the end of it. Because if you want the most beautiful home, you'll be happy for a time until you see somebody else's or you log on to Pinterest. If you want the most beautiful partner, you'll be happy until you see somebody more beautiful. If you want the best career, you'll be happy until you see your boss and what he's driving or she, whoever. You know what I'm saying? These things only end in a vicious spiral. No wonder Paul says their God is their belly. Their destiny is destruction. There is no happily ever after if we put our trust in the things of this life. Church, there are two home truths I think we need to hone in this morning. The first, I believe, is this. A former priest said this. I can't remember who it was. He said, we, don't, we are not human beings have a, having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And if you get that into your heart, it'll change everything that you do. Because, see, we often think about we're human and this spirit thing is just tacked on. It's actually the other way around. God communes with us spirit to spirit. And when we read in John that God is spirit, and then we go back to Genesis and we see what God made us in His image, God's spiritual care for you is much more than our, what our body, like what He cares about our bodies. He wants us to be healthy, but He's most concerned about the health inside. He's most concerned about our spirit. And our spirit is what we'll live on. This body's gone. We read that already. We're going to get a new body. Thank God for that. So our human experience is tacked on to our spirit. We need to get that in our hearts. We are spiritual first. Second thing though, I think there's a lot of people that think that we are just innocents. We are just blameless people looking out there to find God to make our life a little better or to find a higher elevation or a higher illumination or something. Just about every verse in the book shouts no at that. The Bible tells us that we are not blameless. We are not innocent. We are monsters of sin if we're honest. Paul writes in Romans that there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. That takes care of the blameless and that takes care of the, you know, trying to find God bit. We can't do it. We cannot do it. We can never get there. You know, you ever read stories about, you know, criminals or terrorists who have their passports revoked and they suddenly end up stateless? They've got nowhere to go. That was us before Jesus. We didn't have a passport for this earth. We were stateless. We were orphaned. We were fatherless. And God saw something enough to redeem in us. And he sent Jesus. And what do we get? A new heart, a new name, a new passport, a new country, a new identity. 
Are you getting that in your heart this morning? This is what God has done for you. This is what God has done for me. We are no longer stateless criminals. We are beloved. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Church, if there's one thing that can sum up my message this morning, it's this next quote. We can never, we can never satisfy our God-given longing for an eternal home with temporal treasure. I don't care what we do, who you see, who you know, what you're doing, we will never be able to satiate that thirst for being with God in eternity with the things of earth. It's not going to happen. It's just going to leave you depressed. It's just going to leave you wanting more. It's going to leave you a train wreck. That's all it's going to do. Church, if we don't live in the reality of the fact that we are spirit, that we are sinful and we need a redeemer, if we don't live in that reality, this won't mean anything to us. Because if you don't see your need for Jesus, you are going to gravitate to the temporal. If you don't see that Jesus has done such a miraculous work, that He can change our hearts, if you don't see that, you're going to gravitate to what the latest car is, or the best home, or whatever it might be. Your idea of home will be patted out by all that the earth is shouting at you. When this is telling us, look to heaven, look to me, look to Jesus. Church, the good news for us is that the trappings of this life don't have to trap us if we keep the gospel in view. If we keep the gospel in view, we won't be earthly minded. God will continue to shape our mind and our heart and our desires and our longings. So as I say that this morning, some of you might be hearing me and some of you might be thinking, yeah, but I like my stuff. I like my earthly stuff. Or you might even be, might be further back and like, I don't see my need for Jesus. I pray that God will open your eyes this morning. I pray that God will speak to you. Others of you, you might be hearing something different. You might be thinking, oh, Andrew, I'm nervous now. I'm getting provoked by this. This is stirring me. I have lived too long with my eyes down, with my eyes on earth. I see I need to look to heaven. That's awesome. Praise God. Let us live for heaven. But before I go there, there is a danger. Because some people will respond to this by throwing everything in the trash. Some of us will respond to this by saying that anything good is not of God. Some of us will respond like other religions do. I always struggle with this word, asceticism, where basically everything good is evil. Everything pleasurable is wrong. And there are religions that practice this today. You can fall into that trap when I say that. I don't want you to be condemned this morning, church. Because the honest truth is we serve a generous God. We serve a loving God. And even in spite of the, the fallen nature of this world, He showers gifts at us every single day. They are not wrong. Because you think about this. Jesus said it Himself. Though you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more, how much more will your Father give generously? When I give gifts to Cheryl or to my kids or my folks or whoever it might be, I do it because I love them. I do it because I want to express my love to them. But I hope the gift is not seen as a replacement for me. I hope that that gift is not seen as more important than my love. It's an expression of my love. It is not my love. And the same goes when I receive a gift. The gift is wonderful, but I want relationship with that person. I want to be in relationship. It's not just about the physical gift. God gives us because He's generous.
because he loves us, but it's not a replacement for the giver. It is not a replacement for who he is. He gives out of his abundance. He gives out of his care. And so church, we don't have to throw everything good away. That's not what this message is about. We need to view things in the tension that they're in. We need to love the gift, but love the giver more. We need to prize the giver, not pursue the hands, but pursue the face. Do you see what I'm saying? Let's enjoy the gifts, but have eyes on the kingdom. Let's have eyes on that heavenly Jerusalem. And see, if God has given you good things, well, that's okay. That's not a bad thing. Just don't lust after them. Just don't desire them. Be thankful when God gives you. And if God gives someone else instead, be thankful for what God's doing in your life and in their life. We are faced with this tension. So, so how do we respond then? What do we do? How do we handle this whole area? We're going to fly through this. We'll try and cover this off. Yeah, maybe the previous one, actually. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes this. He says, command those who are rich. We'll, we'll break this down in just a second. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Well, we've, we've been talking about that. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Notice that. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So how do we respond? It's, it, we'll break that up and dig into a couple of other things. Firstly, we need to recognize every good gift is from God. Whether that's temporal, whether that's eternal, God still desires good for us. James 1.17 says it comes from the Father who doesn't change like shifting shadows. We've sung about that. We talked about that already. God doesn't change. His heart is for you. His heart is for me. So every good gift comes from Him. And so therefore, let's enjoy it. Let's enjoy what God has done. God gives for our enjoyment. He didn't give and leave you to be a misery gut. He doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to enjoy what God has given and as a witness to other people. People can see how good, good and generous God actually is. Because the people, people have this impression, I don't know why, maybe it's us, I'm not sure, have this impression that God is just standoffish, doesn't love his people, doesn't care. That's not our God. We know that's not our God. But I guess in, in, a, in a desire to sort of break away from prosperity or those other teachings, we think, no, 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 it's all evil. No, it's in balance. It's in balance. Because as we go on, we recognize that the gift is an expression of the love of God. It doesn't replace him. It doesn't supplant his love, but it just shows us he loves us. And then again, this is where hopefully the world is looking to what we're doing. Be generous as he is generous. If God has blessed you, you can enjoy it. But there's also a command to be generous with that. To help where there's a need. To open your home if you've got the space. Whatever it might be, God wants you to be generous with the things he's given. We're blessed to be a blessing. Because after all, it is just a foretaste of what heaven's going to be like. Because we're going to a place where there is a generous, generous Father. Heaven is our true life. This world is really just a simulation at the end of the day. 
this world is almost a, a practice run for what heaven's going to be like. This life is almost like a golf ball compared to the galaxy of what eternity is going to be. Like, how do you put a number on that? That's incredible. Heaven is our true life, so we need to hold this life loosely. And that's a challenge. That's a challenge for you and me in the West when we live in a materialistic age. That's a challenge when we live in a time that's selfish and COVID doesn't really help because we've been told to be distant and all the rest of it, but we can still obviously find ways to be loving. But it's a challenge for us in this society to live this way. But if we do it together, we'll get better at it. If we do it as a community, we will be more and more like Christ. So how do we respond? Looking to heaven looking to heaven and enjoying what God has done here on earth for us just now. First Peter, we're going to close with this. In First Peter chapter, we, we sort of touched on it before, but going back further up, Peter says in verse 9, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's your identity. That's who you are. As a citizen with God, you are chosen. You are royal. You're a priest before Him. That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. And then it goes on. I touched on this before. So therefore, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and as exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he sees us. Church, we have a heavenly homeland to look forward to. Let us not be caught up with the affairs of this life, but at the same time, let us live this way as if we're living there now. Let us live with the generosity that God has shown us. Let us live not prizing the things of this earth, enjoying them, yes, but let's live for Him. Let's live for Him in a way that we don't prioritize our riches, we don't prioritize our homes, we're looking to share what God has given. Church, why don't we pray? Father, we do thank you that there is an eternal home for us. Lord, we thank you that it is beyond anything we could ever imagine in this life. But God, things have clouded out our view of you. Things have clouded out the way that we see. And Lord, this morning I want to ask for release from that, Lord. Lord, the world is shouting at us that this life is all that matters and we, we say no. We say no because your word tells us, Lord, that there is an eternal reality that is so much greater. Father, we want to walk that way. We want to walk in such a way that we look to heaven, Lord. That we say with the psalmist that we lift our eyes and see where our help comes from. This world has nothing to offer us, Lord. But you have everything that we need. So God, I pray for any heart this morning that is struggling to see that reality, Lord. Lord, that the things of this world, Lord, are just so impactful that they can't see a way around. Lord, I ask that you would open eyes today. I ask that you would open hearts today. Lord, I pray that we would see that we are citizens of the kingdom, Lord, and our longing for home will not be satisfied with the things of earth. Our longing for hope 
will only be satisfied by you, Lord. Your presence, your goodness. And so God, I pray we'll pursue that place even now, even while we're on the earth, Lord. Until one day we see you with face unveiled, Lord, where there will be no more tears, no more death, no more crying. We look forward to that, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would motivate us, Lord, to give others the chance to hear that as well. God, we don't want to keep this for ourselves. It's too good to keep, Lord. We want to share this with our friends and our family. Give us boldness. Give us compassion, Lord. Lord, we don't want those that we love. Lord, we don't want their destiny to be destruction, Lord God. That was us and you pulled us from that road. I pray, Lord, that we would have compassion so that others can share in this heavenly home. Lord, we give you all the glory and all the honour in Jesus' name. for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.